It doesn't matter what country you live in or what industry you build a career in. STEM skills are increasingly important, particularly for children and students who are yet to join the world of work. Introducing robotics to children at a young age in the same way that we enroll them in soccer or piano lessons should be a real consideration. However, the participation costs are often so prohibitive that it's out of the question for most schools and parents. Today's guest, Jared Schrieber, wants to change that. He envisions a world where there are as many elementary and high school robotics teams as there are basketball or football teams. That's the vision behind Revolution Robotics, a nonprofit dedicated to making robotics hardware and software kits accessible to all communities. Welcome, Jared. So great to have you on the show with us. Thanks so much, Peter. Really appreciate it. Now, Jared, of course, I want to dive into Revolution Robotics with you and, and your work and vision there. But before we do that, you actually have a whole trajectory before Revolution Robotics. You started your own company, InfoScout. Can you say a bit more about that? Sure. So uh, prior to Revolution Robotics, I'm a serial software entrepreneur, uh, last company being InfoScout, now known as Numerator where we created mobile apps that incentivize people to take pictures of their everyday shopping receipts, no matter where they shopped or what they bought. We would then read out the item level contents and provide analytics to, to brands and retailers to understand them, response to advertising and promotions, response to new item introductions, and all kinds of other brand-related uh, insights. And now InfoScout became Numerator. Can you say a bit more about that? Why did it get renamed and why are you not there well, anymore? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had that uh, very good fortune that I think every entrepreneur dreams of, which is which is to have an exit. And uh, I had the good fortune of merging my company with a with a larger company. We rena renamed the two uh, based on what the two could do together, and that was Numerator. And so now it's a company that's a part of the the Cantor Group, which is the world's largest market research company globally. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to step back out of being CEO and running the business day to day and, and do things that I'm perhaps a little more passionate about, such as this. It's pretty much every entrepreneur's dream to, you know, build a company successfully and then have an exit and get a chance to take a step back and think about what you're going to do next, right? How was that process for you? Oh, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's something that, that I think it, it, when an exit happens, uh, it, it happens so fast, you, you just can't digest it all. It's, it's, it's in a way, to be frank, it's a little bit anticlimactic. Uh, you realize through the process that, that the journey had to be the reward because the actual event of the exit itself turned out to be a conference call at 6 a.m. that was as dry and boring as could be to, to dot the I's and cross the T's and, and that wraps everything up. And then you, you take a step back and you say, wait, I'm done. Now what? What do I really want to do? And uh, fortunately, while I was still building the company, my oldest son, who was a fifth grader at the time, joined his school's robotics team. And it was the first year that the school had offered ro robotics as an after-school program, much like uh, basketball or some other sport. And uh, one of the parents was the team coach, and he was a NASA engineer. And within a week, he sent out an email to all the parents and said, help, <laughs> to which I went, oh, no. <laughs> 
And I asked him, what kind of help are you looking for exactly? Because I don't know much about robotics. I know software, but not robotics. And he said, oh, great. You know, it, really what I just need is a parent's help here. So I started uh, helping out with, with my son's robotics team. What I quickly saw and learned was, my gosh, is the system complex? What they were having to have the kids do in terms of installing and configuring all the software on the computers, on the firmware, for the brain of the robot, for the motors of the robot, for the sensors of the robot, and all of it had to sync together. It was just really complex to get everything started up and, and going. But, but once we figured that out and got through it, Actually, the experience for the kids was was fantastic, and and uh, my son's team ended up doing very well, going to the world championships for program they were doing. Oh, it was fantastic, and, and and my son had a great time. And as a result of that success, it seemed like every kid and their parent wanted wanted to be a part of the robotics program next year. And they're <laughs> uh, that wasn't going to work with a team of you know a handful of kids. And so what my wife and I did is turn our garage into a robotics lab for kids and. I started coaching multiple teams at the school. Uh, we'd meet in our garage. My daughter some of, saw some of her friends doing it. Uh, she joined in. A year later, we had a girls team and a boys team and a mixed team. And within two more years at the school, we had 16 robotics teams. It was incredible. It was just amazing what came of that and what could be uh, if, if the right kind of structure is put in place around it. And so long story short, when I exited from InfoScout, I, I had a chance to say, what do I want to do now? And I thought back to the experience of how amazing it had been for my kids to go through this kind of competitive, organized robotics and, and everything that they've learned and experienced from it. And I said, you know what? The current programs out there are too expensive. They're too complex. The competitions really aren't that fun or fair compared to what they could be. And the only way that this is going to get solved is somebody takes a different approach than what's been done before to really lower the cost complexity, make it much more accessible to kids out there. And so that's really what I set out to do with Revolution Robotics. That's amazing. Now, where were you based at the time? Yeah, so <laughs> was it in fact transitioning. My wife is my wife is Hungarian, and uh, as part of having an exit, it uh, gave us an opportunity to rethink where do we want to be, where do we want to raise our kids, and and so you know Silicon Valley is amazing when you're building a tech company and a career, but uh, as a place to raise a family quite frankly, it can be challenging. And so we decided to get closer to her family in Budapest, Hungary. And so we've lived here for a few years now. And one fortunate thing about being in Budapest is there's some amazing engineering talent here, particularly in the field of mechatronics and robotics. They have an outstanding program at, at the top university. And so I was able to connect with some amazing talent here to help me bring the first Revolution Robotics Challenge Kit to life, which was an open source uh project where we leveraged a bunch of existing open source technologies to build the, the hardware that is the basis of our, our first kit, the Revolution Robotics Challenge Kit. Was that still in Silicon Valley? Were you already back in Hungary at the time? No, no, that's right. Sorry, yeah, for not clarifying. That was still in Silicon Valley at the same school in uh, in Los Altos, kind of the heart of, of Silicon Valley there. You know, I think quite frankly, the kind of thing that can only happen in an environment where you have a whole bunch of engineers and scientists and, and techies as, as parents and family members, right? So it made it easier to, to train the them to become mentors and coaches of teams, whereas you can imagine in other parts of the country, it's just not going to scale that way. Whereas, you know, maybe a parent's comfortable coaching their kid's basketball team, even if they've never really played because they've watched enough. It's maybe a little bit more intimidating for a parent to sign up to, to coach their kid's robotics team. And so one of the things that we need to do is just lower the barrier to entry to make it comfortable and easy to onboard as, as a robotics co coach or mentor. And in fact, make it so easy that kids can figure out so much of this themselves that they're very self-guided in what they do. And as you set up, you have 16 teams and then you decide to go to 
Hungary. I mean, do you have any yeah. thoughts? Like, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you leave the teams behind, presumably with some structure, <laughs> but you kind of got to restart in a new place, right? For sure. I think, uh, look, that's that's a part of, of growing and actually knowing you've done something successful is when you can be replaced. You know, you've, you've built something lasting when when you can step out of it and others can take over and run it. You know, whether that was the uh, robotics teams at my son's school uh, and seeing that grow and flourish or, in fact, uh, InfoScout, the company I built, of being able to step out, see others step up and take it on and see it flourish. It's it's, it's actually a great feeling. It's, knows how, it's how you know you've done something that's that's lasting and, and sustainable. And, and I think, you know, quite frankly, I hope the same thing happens someday with Revolution Robotics. It's built up to the point where, where it's growing and thriving and other people can take it to new heights. Now, Revolution Robotics specifically, as I was looking through videos and blog posts and, and tutorials, last night, it seems Revolution Robotics is not just a teaching program or curriculum, it's a, also a new robotics kit that you designed to make things affordable. Is that right? That's exactly right. I think, I think when, I, when I took a step back and said, what is it going to take to, to really have robotics education competition thrive? And maybe I could just take a step back further, which is, you mentioned it in the intro to this, which is, I'm envisioning a world where, where anywhere you have organized basketball for kids, you have five kids, a coach, electricity and clean space. If you have those four resources, a few kids, a coach, electricity and clean space, then you should have everything you need resource wise to offer an organized robotics team for kids. And quite frankly, if you're a school or an after school organization uh, associated with education, I almost think it should be unconscionable 10 years from now that you could offer basketball to kids at a school and through school, but not offer robotics as a sport or, or an opportunity to kids. I mean, that's unconscionable that we would prioritize basketball as a program for these kids where so few of them are ever going to make a career or living out of it. And yet something that can develop life skills beyond the, the science and engineering skills. But there's tons of other life skills that I'd love to talk about that come out of doing organized robotics. But these kids learn and develop from, I mean, every kid should, should have that opportunity. And it is unconscionable to me that we're not able to offer that to kids today. But that's part of what I'm setting out to solve with Revolution Robotics is we have to make it cheaper. We have to make it no more expensive to offer robotics as a program, after school program, than basketball. We have to make it no more complex to offer it as an after school program than basketball. That's really what we're after. And so part of solving that is building our own kit to answer your question directly, which is, the existing kits out there today just don't solve this question of cost and complexity. And to bring the cost and complexity down, we built our own kit. We designed our own kit from scratch. And, you know, some of it's really simple. Like, let's move all the sizes of the pieces to be in standard centimeter increments because it makes all the mathematics and all the physics of mechanics quite simple and, and easy to perform and do. Um, for for motors and motor controllers and drivers and everything, let's use open source technologies like I squared C and others to just make it so that anything can plug and play in. You know, instead of creating custom cables and ports, let's use standard network cables, T1 cables as, as our ports. For our microcomputer, let's use a Raspberry Pi. You know, it's open source. Like, let's leverage technologies that already exist that play well, play nicely together are much cheaper because they're produced in mass, they're not proprietary, and let's put all these things together and get them working in a way where you get a, just a really beautiful, simple, extensible system that actually can produce, be produced at a much lower cost than anything out there today. 
Now, when I think of the kit, should I think of something a bit like a Lego kit where there's a manual that tells me what I can do or? Yeah, I, th I think the easiest parallel to, for anyone to wrap their head around is something like Lego Mindstorms or EV3, if they're familiar with it, right? You, you, you buy this kit, you've got a brain, you've got some motors, you've got some other sensors like an ultrasonic distance sensor uh, or a touch button sensor. Um, and, and you've got structural parts that snap together. Ours, ours people compared to Lego a lot. Ours just happen to be a little bit bigger and allow for larger structures to be built and held together when a robot is doing mechanical type movements and actions. But it's very similar in that regard. And if you get the kit, you're given some guided instructions to build your first robot and code and configure your first robot so you can remote control it or you can set it in autonomous mode and program it to do what you want. Very much like Lego in that regard. I, th I think just maybe a little bit simpler and easy to get started, believe it or not, which is kind of hard to believe when you think about easier or simpler than Lego, but actually that's a lot of the, the feedback we get is the onboarding for the robotics, at least, is, is just a little bit simpler and more straightforward for people. Now, you've talked about schools and I want to get back to that, but if some kids or parents maybe thinking ahead to the holiday season, right, want to get a kit, can you individually get a kit or does it need to go through a school program? No, absolutely. So on revolutionrobotics.org, uh, we've got a we've got a little web shop, and people can can uh, go there and and order a kit for their kids. Actually, we've sold quite a few that way. And in fact, randomly this last weekend, I met somebody who who told me, "Oh yeah, we bought a kit for a 13 year old, and his younger sibling wanted one, and now they're each building their own robot robots, and sometimes they're building robots that do challenges against each other, and so it's just become a thing in their family." That's awesome. Now, what's the ballpark price if somebody wants to get going on this? Yeah, so the, the price of the kits is $249 US, uh, includes shipping, and in Europe, it's, it's 249 euro. Nice. Now, when you set out to do this, it seems like you had multiple motivations, right? You were thinking about, okay, this robotics team was so much fun for the kids in Los Altos schools. At the same time, it ties into career. You learn engineering skills, you learn team skills and so forth. Did you ever also take a step back and think, is robotics naturally the right thing or could there be yet something else than robotics that's just as natural? It's a, it's a great question. I had to take a step back. Fundamentally, you know, I love the idea of, of STEM or STEAM, if you call it, including the arts as a way to, to really engage kids in a creative form of, of learning and applying science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And, and so, look, I'm a fan of a ton of different approaches. I've seen some amazing ones over the last few years as I've been researching this space that I'm a huge fan and supporter of. Robotics is not the only way. Is it the best way? Well, what I can say about robotics is that, one, I've seen firsthand what it can do for kids in terms of really bringing that inspirational joy of learning and applying you know, the maths and sciences, plus a whole number of other life skills in the process. And two, what you can do with it, both in terms of creating real world challenges and competitions, I think it's hard to replicate and do via, via other modes of engagement for STEM learning. And so I guess that's what, what really appeals to me about focusing on the question of, of robotics and using it as a tool to bring this kind of inspirational joy of learning and pursuing degrees and careers in STEM. Now, you've alluded a few times to the fact that the kids also learn other skills beyond the yeah. science part of robotics. Can you say a bit more about that? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. It's, it's actually my favorite part of, about all of this is what I saw happen with the kids on these robotics teams 
is yes, they have to learn how to do some coding. Yes, they have to learn some of the mechanics and physics uh, in order to complete some of the challenges. But what happens in the process is the kids have to communicate ideas that are in their head, a vision that they have. They have to be able to articulate it in a way that their teammates can understand and interpret. And in the process of that, their teammates are going to, to, to give feedback. And so if you've got an idea you're passionate about, you're trying to articulate it and the other kids aren't understanding, right? We as adults have challenges in terms of getting ideas out of our head and then hearing feedback and taking it in a way that, that's constructive. And by the way, giving feedback in a way that's constructive. And so the amount of that that happens in the course of doing this is incredible. You know, others are, you have to agree on the goal. What, what are the goals you're trying to solve for, right? We deal with that in, in business settings every day, any kind of work setting, not just business setting. Planning, like, okay, if this is our goal, what are the steps we have to do to get there? Dividing work among the team members. Okay, I'm going to work on this, you work on this. And then how does that work to come back together and interface to, to, to actually make the whole system work? You know, that's not just a robotics question or, or problem. That's that's any kind of thought-based work that, that takes place has these kinds of problems and challenges. And the way that those skills develop through organized robotics is something that I haven't seen happen in the classroom and I rarely see happen in any kind of other uh, organized after-school program or activity. And these are the kind of life skills that I think we really need to be focused on with our kids to help them succeed in the 21st century. I couldn't agree more, I think. And I think specifically the ability to give constructive feedback is really, really <laughs> difficult to get that right. So the kits are available online or and also some some kids have access to to the robot kits through schools and so forth now when you have such a let's say roughly 250 dollar kit what are some examples of the types of robots that you can build with it an example would be a robot that can play jenga you know so so imagine that yeah you could have two robots competing against each other playing jenga and those could be in autonomous mode or in remote control mode but you've got to design something that, that grabs blocks and pulls them out you've got to grab something that Blocks, blocks. You've got to build some kind of elevator or, or scissor lift system that lifts blocks up and places them back on top. We've got our, our a Robo Jam coming up here in Budapest, which is a, a same day challenge or competition where the kids show up in the morning with a kit and they're given a challenge. And then uh, that very same day, they go through the process of constructing and coding a robot to compete in the challenge that afternoon. And then through each round of competition, they can continue to work on and improve the robot to perform even better round by round as they go through the competition. And the one we'll do uh, this coming weekend is like Hungry Hungry Hippo. If you know the old board game where, where you have these hippos reaching out for the balls in the center of the field. Well, what we've got is like a little soccer field and the robots they build will have to drive through their own goal, which kind of creates a size constraint immediately. They'll have to drive in at the start of the buzzer. And they'll have to go out onto the field and they'll have to go grab ping pong balls, which have been dumped out in the field. So they're kind of randomly scattered over the field and they've got to bring them back through their own goal and collect as many as they can within 60 seconds. While another robot is coming from the other side trying to do the exact same thing and they get paired up with different robots each round. And, and so that's an example of the, the, the types of challenges. There's so many different things that you can set as, as challenges. And in fact, our app uh, that we provide for free with the kit is filled with challenges for kids to to basically learn and apply new skills while doing something real with the robot. That's so interesting. A couple of things you mentioned there. One thing is, I mean, when I had Legos as a kid, they came with a paper manual. <laughs> right. But you're, what you're saying here, there's an app, you get the app and effectively you, 
you can hit a new manual every day if, if there's one available and you can yeah. build new things or get new challenges, even if it's not a manual, but more like a goal, a mm -hmm. challenge. And exactly can you say right. a bit more about that? What's in the app? The app has multiple parts to it. The, the most basics are um, build instructions for some initial robots just so they get a sense for, for constructing, how things fit together, how different parts can be used together. You know, there's nothing better than actually doing as a way to, to, to learn in some of these cases versus just talking about it. And so, so we give that opportunity. Um, and then there's an ability to, to obviously create and configure their own robot. So, you know, I've got motors on the drivetrain like this. I've got motors being used as an arm or a claw uh, and, and basically so that they can configure a robot of their own creation. And then they can write code. We use Blockly at this point for kind of drag and drop blocks of code that turn into Python. And what we're using that as an on-ramp for kids to go from, from block-based coding like Scratch. Blockly is almost identical. Uh, as a transition point for them to begin to learn Python, so they can see the Python generated by their blocks, and as they modify the block, they they, they can they can see the changes uh, is what we're working on to to offer. So they can write little programs, and then they can they can assign those programs to buttons on the remote control that you alluded to earlier. And all that's in the app. It's not it's not something separate. It's all in the app. So once they build and control their own robots, then they can start taking on different challenges. We offer kind of weekly challenges in the app, or we've uploaded new challenges every week. You know, a challenge might be as basic as a build a robot that can race as fast as possible around the challenge field that we offer with the with the app. Another one could be one that's going and, and picking up things and, and putting them into baskets or little cups of different heights. You know, each one of these challenges is kind of a fun way to put the skills to the test. And I think that fundamentally at the end of the day, what we're after is kids are learning skills that they then creatively apply to solve problems. And there's a there's a learning taxonomy called Bloom's taxonomy that says the highest form of learning or understanding is when you can creatively apply the knowledge that, that you've learned. And I think that's another amazing thing that robotics offers that's hard to deliver through other kinds of educational vehicles. Now, Jared, I can tell your passion is, <laughs> if anything, primarily around the kids experience and, and the kids learning Absolutely. and building teamwork skills and so forth. But I'm still curious. Is there any favorite robot that one of the kids or one of the teams built that you can highlight? There's one I've seen that the, the kids took our motors and they did all kinds of compound gears, you know, where, where basically, you know, uh, you basically use it to help, you know, something spin faster and faster than, than the motor actually spins at the end of the day. And they attached two tires to it. And they used it as like a shooter in the way that that maybe you've seen in in baseball, a pitching machine or a, a, a tennis, like a, you know, shooting tennis balls. And so they they built one of these and they pop ping pong balls through it. And the velocity and at which these ping pong balls came shooting out, I mean, you, you literally want to duck because they might give you a welt if you got hit, hit by them. <laughs> so well, they had a lot of fun building building this kind of like almost like a tank shooter that's just that's just darting ping pong balls at any target they set. Yeah, that's very creative. And maybe one of them wanted to play more ping pong and didn't have a partner. <laughs> maybe that's it. They needed a partner for ping pong, so they, they built that. Now. When people think robots, the first thing people tend to think is the physical, of course, because it makes them tangible. You can touch them, play with them. Mm -hmm. But I, as you already alluded to a little bit, a big part is the software, right? And, and in some sense, if we think about jobs, there will be many jobs related to robots in the future, but even more so most likely related to software 
than robots. And so I'm curious about your thinking on that and you know, how big a component is software in everything that the kids are doing? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge component. And in fact, I, I love what you, you mentioned there about, about jobs. I mean, so many jobs are, are being automated and mostly by software. I mean, there's the famous saying of software is eating the world, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it's clearly just taking over more and more jobs. In fact, I was flying this last weekend and, and it was just amazing to me as I experienced the whole check-in process for thousands of people at the airline. And there are only three people at the check-in counter because they'd automated it all through the kiosks. And, you know, it's you're checking in yourself, you're, you're providing your ID and confirmation and you print out the bag tags and you put them on yourself. And, you know, it's basically just automated the role of, of, of the check-in counters. And we see that in, in so many areas. And one of the things that I've thought about is this is going to continue to happen, the levels of automation. And we probably want our kids to be in a position where they understand what's and envision what's possible with robotics and automation. And don't put themselves in a situation where they're fearful of what robots can can do or will do in terms of automation, but they feel empowered and that they know how to make a robot do what they want towards automation, right? And so put the kids in the driver's seat where, where they understand more what's possible and where this could go and they can envision it, but also that they can see their role in it, which is, which is almost defining what the robots of the future will do. And I, I think that's really empowering for our kids in, in a time what's you know, quite frankly, uncertain for where jobs are headed in the future here. And as for the software component, I think you're right, which is uh, more and more automation is is really through the software side as opposed to the hardware side of things. I think there's a big role for the integration of the two. You know, how software works with hardware and the interface and the leverage between the two is often where the magic happens. Uh, but there are more and more opportunities on, on the software side. And having built a couple of software companies, I guess I'm particularly uh, partial to that side. And so, so what I view in this is robotics is an amazing way to teach kids how to code and what code can be used for. I think the online programs like Scratch and, and, and what Khan Academy has done, those are excellent. They're excellent teaching programs. I also think there's no substitute for, for actually controlling something physical in your presence, uh, me- mechanical with code that you've created. It's different than when you're controlling uh, a character on a screen. Uh, there's a ton of value that com- comes from that. There's also some unique value that comes from building something yourself, your own creation, configuring it, and then coding it so that it becomes smart and intelligent and aware of the environment around it and capable of interacting and responding with the everyday world that, that you also occupy and, and interact with, whether it's, you know, opening your, your door to your room, picking up the socks, throwing them in the, in the laundry hamper, you know, there's a mechanical component, but getting that to work requires a fair amount of coding. And we're trying to provide that onboarding path to kids to, to start learn to code, but have a reason to code as well, right? Now they have this thing that they built and they want it to work. Now they have a reason to code. And if you give the kids a reason to do something and, a, and an objective and a challenge, They'll figure it out and they'll be more passionate about it, doing it than if it's just some kind of random thought experiment uh, that, that they're given. Fully agreed. One of the things I saw is that there was a whole section in the blog on actually convolutional neural networks and computer <laughs> vision. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty advanced for uh, for kids to get started on, on robotics to, you know, dive into all of that. How do you see the kids ramp up to that? That's kind of like the state of the art in artificial intelligence today was like yeah well <laughs> look sometimes you have to throw some big audacious vision out there to give people a sense of what what's possible and i think um you know hats off to my head of engineering i gotta give him a shout out david dudash who's led the design of this and who wrote that blog post he actually took our kit 
and added uh, you know, a camera system. He's also added LIDAR to it before, by the way, to make a self-driving vehicle to our kit, which is really incredible. But one of the things we did is with the Raspberry Pi, we left the ports open so you can plug in a camera uh, and you can do things like create your own line following code using convolutional neural networks where, where it's actually interpreting what it's seeing through the camera and guiding the robot to respond in something like a line following scenario. And so one of our ideas was we have all these ports and capabilities with the Raspberry Pi. We can close them in because we don't actually build the parts to support them, or we can leave it open and say, look, the sky's the limit. If a kid graduates beyond what they can do with our kit, wouldn't it be nice if they could attach their own motors, if they could attach cameras, if they could attach something else and just continue to develop their own skills and interests well beyond what we're able to provide uh, ourselves. And, and that's really you know in line with our vision for where this goes. We want this to be an onboarding, not an end goal. You know, this this is a start toward towards a career uh, and interest in in STEM, not not an end destination. If somebody buys the kit and they're just alone, let's say maybe their school doesn't have a team yet, can they still be part of a community? Is there any way to help them get a team started at their school? What, what do you offer in terms of community building? Yeah, so. This is really the next phase of what we're working on right now. It's a, it's a great question. I wish we were further along, quite frankly. COVID probably set us back a year and a half from where we would have liked to be in terms of, of uh, building out programs in, in local communities and, and supporting the, the onboarding and ramping. We're actually building up some programs now, like in Queens, New York, there'll be an after-school program at all of the middle schools. We're working with Stockton, California, and, and other locations to build this up. If individuals want to do that, do this today, uh, they can certainly ping us through our website, and we'll provide them with some support. We have program managers in the U.S. who work with uh, interested parents in particular or teachers to help them get started at their local school or Boys and Girls Club or other organization to set them up to be successful and, and get a program going. Mm -hmm. Now... What's the age range for kids to engage in this? So the primary age range that, that we're supporting is ages 8 to 13. So this is basically your fourth graders through your eighth graders is really the sweet spot with the kit that we've created. We think much younger than that. Uh, there's some things we'd want to do to further simplify the design of the brain and the interactions. Certainly with parents, we see kids ages 5 and 6 having a great time with the kit. <laughs> some so, parents. You know, <laughs> and, and the parents. Well, that's actually it. Quite often, if they're enthusiast parents who want to get their kids started and they're ready to be hands-on with their kid, they have a great time at ages five, six, seven. Uh, but but for a kid to be able to work on this mostly independently, uh, you're looking at around age eight, and then they can keep going up to about 13. By the time they're ready for high school, what we found is typically they're ready for almost direct Python programming, like line by line, which which we're still working on. And then parts-wise, they're usually ready to graduate from injection-molded plastic parts all the way up to metal-type parts and much stronger motors and other mechanics. Do you have any favorite stories from teams or kids and parents working with a kid? I, I can just think of one recent one that, that just came up, which is uh, I was uh, at a wedding over the weekend, and I met a parent who bought some of the kits, and their kids have been using them, and the, and the kid pretty advanced 13 year old is building his own like 3D printed model car. And he was trying to understand how um, uh, differential gears worked and operated and to get a sense of how it worked and came together and how we might be able to do it in this, in this model car that he's building. He actually used our kit to actually figure out how to construct a differential gear and understand the mechanics of it 
and to be able to even conceptualize how it was all going to come together so that then he could try and 3D print it for, for his model car. And I went 13 years old doing this. It's incredible. But also how awesome to know that like, hey, there's, you know, there's Lego, there's, there's other tools out there, there's YouTube, there's other ways he could have learned and tried to understand this. He chose our kit as the means by which he could construct and understand how, how this works together and how the mechanics actually work. No, that's an amazing story. I got to imagine the best feelings for you must be situations where people you didn't know got a kid and don't even know that you're part of the team tell you about this kid. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an amazing feeling. It's when you know you're starting to have some semblance of, of an impact uh, towards what you set out to do. It's, and, and certainly we have a long ways to go. We're just getting started. We're only scratching the surface, but it's nice to see just these early bits of feedback of the impact we're starting to have on kids. Talk about just getting started, early days and so forth. It's my understanding you ran a Kickstarter to get this That's going. Right. Can you That's say a exactly bit more right. about that process? Oh, yeah. So, so look, Kickstarter is fantastic and Indiegogo and all, all of these platforms is a way to say, I've got an idea for something. I, you know, I think the world needs this or wants this. And if I can get enough people who share that passion or interest who are willing to contribute here, then I'll have both the confidence and maybe the financial capital required to get this going and kicked off the ground. And in our case, you could imagine what's, we've got hundreds of parts in this, in this kit. This is a pretty significant kit. And so the tooling cost was, was immense in terms of creating all the injection molds for these parts. And so you really want to know that, that there's some interest and demand out there before you go, go spend the money to, to do all, all that. And the upfront manufacturing cost is, you know, significant. I mean, these cut, kits are hundreds of dollars and you're going to produce thousands in a production run that takes some capital. And so that's an advantage of something like Kickstarter or Indiegogo to get a concept off the ground. And fortunately, actually, there's a lot of great robotics and STEM educational type initiatives out there. So, so it's not a foreign concept to do that on, on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. And so we did that and, and we, we did this opportunity to basically find people who are willing to take a chance on an unproven idea or kit and allow us to bring it to market on a timeline that we set out to deliver by Christmas, which was only six, seven months away, which was potentially too aggressive, but, uh, but my amazing team actually pulled it off and we delivered our kits just in time for, for Christmas gifts for kids out there. So that was outstanding that we could make and meet that commitment. But the other thing is it set the right expectation with everybody of, look, this is a minimum viable product. This, this is basically, this is our first draft. We've put a lot of thought and energy into it, but, you know, there might be some bugs or other things. And, and that's part of what you're buying by being a Kickstarter backer. And, and I just think that it's amazing as a way to launch a new product in a way that just didn't exist before, where, where you almost had to get it right the first time because there wasn't going to be a second chance or Kickstarter allows that opportunity to get a minimum viable product out in the market to begin with from early adopters and then use that feedback to refine and build, you know, maybe a future version of the product, which is exactly what we're doing. Yeah, and just to be clear, you said the Kickstarter version might have some bugs, but that is a, you know, a past generation. Today's kits are much refined beyond that. Sure, absolutely. And we've just learned a ton through the experience. You know, we kept iterating as, as the first users would get on board and they'd experience something and we'd go through cycles and cycles of, of engineering to just improve the experience. And so now we're two years into that. And, and in fact, uh, working on you know, what we call version two of the product coming up here next next summer that, uh, that we think is going to just be an amazing product that we have full confidence in, in really going global with. Anybody considering Kickstarter, one part of the process is, is the vision, 
right? You need to have a vision that's that's compelling. But another part, right. you somehow need to get people's attention, right? Yes. There's a marketing aspect mm -hmm. to it. I gotta imagine, mm -hmm. and I'm curious, what did you do to make sure that people saw it and came uh, to listen to mm -hmm. your story? Well, I'll be frank. I, I think we could have done more and more and better around that. Um, one of the things that we tried to look at was segment the market in terms, in terms of who are the types of people who are going to express an interest in this kind of product at the early stage. And one of them is really Raspberry Pi type enthusiasts, people trying to maximize what they can do out of ra Raspberry Pis. And so we could find these audiences online in all kinds of different forums. And, you know, we could provide little links or mention to our Kickstarter campaign. We could provide feedback on their posts of what they had done and say, oh, that's awesome. You know, check out what we're doing over here and include a link. And so not only would that enthusiast who had posted something see that, but potentially other people who were viewing their content of what they had done with their Raspberry Pi would see ours as well and click on the link back to the campaign. So, you know, whether you call that grassroots or guerrilla marketing, uh, you know, we, we were doing everything we could on a budget, considering we're a nonprofit organization to, to keep the cost down and just be really effective with our outreach. And so STEM educators for others, uh, existing robotics program coordinators or, or teachers of robotics, we were finding where are these people online where are they interacting with others who share their passion and interest? And how do we get ourselves inserted into that conversation with a link back to the Kickstarter campaign? And did you have any kind of early demos that were part of, of the campaign video? <laughs> well, we did. What's funny is uh, we hadn't done the injection molding yet. So the only thing we had was 3D printed parts. And I don't know if you've worked with 3D printers, but there's a huge range of a spectrum and capability. And the ones that only cost a couple thousand dollars, you know, if you're talking about printing Lego technique quality parts or, or, or more, which you know, I'd, I'd like to describe our parts as, well, you're just not going to get the pins to fit very well into the holes uh, with 3D printing. It's just not going to work that way. And, and um, maybe the colors aren't going to be as vibrant as the 3D printed parts. So, so literally, we printed parts that we found ways to force together to act like they were snapping together nicely. And my, you know, my daughter helped me paint them the different colors so they look like the real parts and other things. And we just we built robots that worked but maybe didn't look... Fantastic. And if you see our video today, that's exactly what you'll see on, on the side is from that Kickstarter video as opposed to, to the actual final produced kit, which is a much higher quality product. That's a great experience too, though. I mean, it's a lot more expensive to, to 3D print per part once you're at scale than injection mold. But it, <laughs> sure. it, it's, it's also it's fun, right, to see it just materialize in front of you. So much fun. And the ability to iterate, you know, take some, ah, oh, that's not going to work for this reason. You know, sometimes you don't realize that till you have the physical parts and you put them together and you start using them for how they're intended. Or maybe in the process, you, you realize, oh, there's other ways to use this. And if we modify X or Y, it'll work for both use cases that you just can't think through otherwise. You know, sometimes it just takes having having the, the parts and, and using them, putting them together to, to realize things that maybe you hadn't taken into account. So 3D printing for us was an invaluable part of the prototyping process. Jared, the journey you're on is absolutely amazing and really still in the early stages. Clearly, you see this as something that could be in every school, right? Many, yeah. many robotics teams and so forth. Every household, every kid could be playing with robots and learning along the way. Now, if any of our listeners wanted to help support Revolution Robotics, get there faster, you know, in, in a more comprehensive way, how can they help? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, we're you know we'd love to have 
uh, parents, teachers, teachers, mentors who would love to lead a group of kids through the experience of learning all of these skills related to robotics and, of course, all the life skills that come along with it. And so, so they can contact us through our website. Beyond that, uh, look, a, a number of individuals and companies have sponsored programs at their local uh, community center, at their local school, at their local Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we're always looking uh, forward to, to working with more people to get programs in place at, at schools and organizations. And so that can be done through our donate page or if there are any questions, uh, just reach out to us on our website. But we've got some great partners out there. DuPont, I'd, I'd love to name, is a recent one that's, that's really uh, done some great work with us, uh, reaching kids who otherwise wouldn't have these kinds of opportunities to make sure that they get exposed to what can be the uh, inspirational joy of organized robotics. So many, many ways to, to help make this dream happen. Well, Jared, thanks for sharing and thanks for being on. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation and I, I really hope it inspires and gives opportunities by learning about this to many kids out there to get involved in robotics and all the skills they'll learn along with it. Thanks so much. Really appreciate being on your show, Peter. Thanks for doing this. <laughs>